0: You know, anybody who knows Jesus knows that he would never give us a prayer just to give us some words to recite. The prayer that he taught us is a pattern that is meant to change our lives and change the world. And so I'm going to be teaching over the next few weeks the Lord's Prayer in a way that will help you Understand the inauguration of the kingdom of God now, here, now. And, and, and I, I've got just, I just want to take the first few little lines, few little words at the beginning of the prayer that introduces the prayer and introduce this prayer to you in that way. Um, when Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, pray then in this All right. So this is just an introductory. uh, By the way, sermon's not going to be all that great or long this morning. I I can either answer your emails and texts and phone calls, or I can give you a good sermon. Your choice. Can't do both. All right. So this week I've been doing a lot of the former. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm sure God will have something for you here, but it's not going to be spectacular. so, let me show you the big pattern of God. We'll come back to those three words. But, but, but let me show you the big pattern of God. The big pattern of God has always been to go from the spiritual to the physical. That is to say, you remember a creation. The spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. I love that. Or the, the, the darkness uh um Was over the face of the deep. It was all chaos, vohu bavohu. And and then God spoke. And not only did order come, but a physical world came into being. That is the pattern of God. Pastor Vernon just read to you about the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was the God, and the Word was God. This is the organizing principle of the universe, the Logos. But it doesn't stop with the spiritual world. It says in John, as Pastor Verne read, John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from a Father full of grace and truth. We saw his glory. The spiritual became physical. Even when Paul was preaching, this wasn't about an intellectual reformation. This is about a demonstration of God. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, this is from Paul. And my message and my preaching were not in the persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration in spirit and in power. In other words, a prayer should ultimately result in something you see. Not something that just goes on in your spirit or something that just goes on in your mind, but something that changes in your life. Now, here's the problem. Could I tell you our problem? Our problem is that we have truncated our faith into a problem-solving, a problem-solving um, um, journey. That is to say, we believe in God or we'll lean into God because we, we want him to solve our problems. Now, let me tell you the problem with problem-solving faith because there's a problem in, trying, in just trying to solve problems. Every problem that you solve begets another problem that you need to solve. Did you ever notice that? When you get, what you, when you, when you get some sort of, of solution or a leg up, you go, oh, wait, I didn't, oh, here comes another one. Because of this one, here comes another one. That's the nature of the world. Let me give you an illustration. I, I, uh, Becky and I, um, as part of our sabbatical, saved up our nickels. This was on our bucket list. We saved up our nickels, and we took a, a, a cruise to Alaska. And, 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 and i got to tell you, it's, you, get, you get to that kind of majesty in God's creation, and you go, why, why do I ever worry about anything? Holy cow. Well, anyhow, so, so um, there, when you take cruises and you go up to the Denali and all that kind of stuff, there are excursions you can take. Well, I already told you, basically, we're cheap. And so we don't take the um, $800 helicopter ride to land on a glacier. We take the cheapest excursion, which is a $99 bicycle ride, into the midst of the floor, forest. All right? Now, if you're going to take a bicycle ride in the midst of Denali they give you the talk. And the talk isn't the talk you're thinking of. The talk is survival. What happens if you meet various kinds of wildlife? What should your reaction be? And so he says, if you meet a moose, run. It seems, it seems natural, but m- m- moose aren't Predatory animals. They won't chase you. They'll just go, huh, you know, as you run. Preferably zigzag, he says. But, uh, but they'll just count you as crazy and go on about their business. If you see a bear, and can I just say this? I've seen more bear in Seminole County than I have. I, there's probably more bear in Alaska, but they hide better. I don't know. But he said, if you see a bear, don't run. Because a bear, it triggers a predatory response, and a bear can, can run at 35 miles an hour, and he'll overtake you. So don't run. So this is what my wife said. She, she, she said this in her blog this week, but just—so my wife is listening to this. She turns to me, and she says, what if you're running from a moose and a bear sees you? <laughs> Every solution begets another problem. You understand the, the pattern here? We we traveled um, um, uh, with one of those dome trains, you know, uh, up to the up to the park, and we had the guy in the microphone He was telling us all about all the wildlife. And we we passed uh, beaver dams. These are fascinating creatures, you know. So he tells us about beavers, and 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 he says, you know, the teeth on beavers aren't like enamel; they're like ivory. And as they grow, they curl. You ever notice how our ivory... It's kind of like your fingernails. If you let them grow long enough, they curl. They start curling. And, and, and the tusks and... and, and the, the, so, so here's the thing. If a beaver doesn't kind of somehow keep his tusks shaved down, his, 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 his teeth shaved down, they will eventually curl under and they could kill him. So as a survival technique, the beaver gnaws on trees, you know, to keep his teeth down to where they don't curl around. Here's the problem. You know, one of the leading causes of death in beavers? Falling trees. (laughs) Every problem solved creates another problem to solve. See, it's kind of a catch-22. It's the same way in in the in the faith walk you know all of us are looking to solve the problem of eternity i want to go to heaven when i die well good that's good and jesus solved that for us but here's the problem if you only concentrate on the benefits of the death died for us on the cross you will miss the life afterwards see christians love to talk about the cross We'd, we'd, and, and it changed history. It changed everything. But Christians don't very much know how to live the life that Christ lived. Remember what I said. Here's, the, here's what he wants us to do. He wants us to go from our best interpretation of what the Bible says to our best imitation of how Jesus lived. See, if you just do the former, you're going to be arguing all the time. Well, it's not my interpretation. I don't think he said that. And then you're going to start dividing up and quarreling and fighting. And as long as you're doing that, you can't do anything constructive. You're not a blessing to anyone. But if you're living like Jesus, holy cow, everybody's blessed. So here's what we need to do. We need to understand that this pattern that is given to us is for life, not for death. You know, one of my favorite movies I don't know if you've seen this movie. Many of you have, I bet. The Last Samurai. You ever see, I got samurai swords at home. My dad brought them back from World War II. And, 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 and so The Last Samurai. And this is, this is such a great movie. And it's, it's got, it comes from history. It, it's based on historical fact. Although you couldn't recognize history from the movie. But, but, but it is. It's based on historical fact. And it was of a time in the late 1800s. When Japan was, was um, transitioning to be a westernized country, but the great ancient tradition and culture of the samurai was still there. And it's about this young emperor who doesn't have the confidence of his own power. You know, the emperor back then, and, 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 and up till recently, was seen as a god. Not just a man, but as a god. But here's this young man who has had one mentor in his life, is now separated from him, that was a samurai, was a legendary samurai warrior, who tried to empower and and teach him to walk strong. But then he got separated, and now he's surrounded by those who usually surround power, who want to keep them off balance so that the advisors can have more power. He's surrounded by those who will speak on his behalf. And as the movie concludes, there's been a great battle. And all of the samurai are defeated. And this much respected mentor of the emperor when he was young takes his own life In Japan, there's a a phrase, death rather than dishonor. And he takes his own life. And during the concluding scene, there is a treaty that is happening between Japan and the West. And and, and all of these get-rich advisors are pushing this treaty through. But then this American soldier that has been with the samurai and fought with the samurai for the honor of the samurai in their traditional ways, comes in with this mentor's sword. And he kneels down. And this emperor, who has retreated into the shadows, comes forward. And he does what no emperor would ever do. He kneels down toward this one who is kneeling, presenting him with this mentor's sword. And he says, you were with him at the end? And the soldier looks up and says, I. And he says, tell me how he died. And the soldier looks into his eyes and says, I will tell you how he lived. You understand, so many Christians just want to surround the cross. Tell us again how Jesus died. Tell us again how we're, we're, we have all our sins forgiven. Tell us again how we're going to heaven. Tell us how he died. We need somebody to say, I will tell you how he lived. Because God doesn't want you just to have the benefits of your problems solved. He wants you to understand the power you have in your life. He wants you to understand how to live. And that's what this prayer is about. This prayer does two things essentially. First of all, it inaugurates the kingdom in reminding us what prayer is for. I will, I will teach you about the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer. The first having to do with the kingdom establishment and the second having to do with your personal needs. Those two should never be separated. If God is interested in bringing the spiritual into the physical, if he's inter, bringing eternity interested in bringing eternity into the, the, the life you have today, they should never be separated. And so when he gives us this pattern, go back to, to, to Matthew 6, 9. When he gives us this pattern, in Luke they said, Lord, teach us to pray. In Matthew, Jesus says these words, pray then in this way. Before we even get into the, 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 the words of the actual, the actual pattern, let, let, let me show you what this means. Pray here in Greek is in the presentive Present imperative, verb, tense, and mood. That simply means keep praying this. I order you to keep praying this. It is imperative that you keep praying this, and it's always in the present. It's always for your life today. Pray then in this way. The, 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 the Greek term here is Hutos means this is a pattern. This is a pattern meant not only for your understanding, but for your behavior. This is a pattern not only for your spiritual life, but for your lifestyle. This is a pattern. See, what prayer does, we need to understand this, is it draws us closer to God so that God himself can live through us with the power that he had in mind when he made us to accomplish the purpose he had in mind when he created us. And if you continue to do that, you will always have a fresh calling. You will always have this. Lord, this is from you today. This is from you for my present circumstances. This is from you. Do this through me. E. Stanley Jones was a, was a uh, um, wonderful, um, famous missionary to India. And E. Stanley Jones once said, Prayer is like somebody in a boat who, who wants to go to shore but kind of lost their oars, and so they throw a boat hook, and it lands on shore, and they pull on the rope, see? Now, if you're in that situation, guess who's moving? It's not, you're not moving God. You're not moving him close. A lot of people say, if I pray, then I can move God to do this. What? What kind of God do you got? If I pray, then I can tell God something that he might not know, and he'll do it for me. What? Tell God something he doesn't know? Tell God to do something outside his own will and outside his What? What kind of God do you got? Now, God already knows it. Jesus told us that. God already knows everything you need. So what's prayer? James put it like this. He said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, now, now let's go back to our illustration. If you get that boat hook and you're pulling the boat in, you're in the boat. Is he drawing near to you? Well, proximity wise, I guess you could say that from your perspective, but that's not what's happening in reality. When you pray. God is establishing eternity in your life. It's not moving, it's just coming to reality and a nearness that God always meant for you. Prayer is to move us. Prayer is to change us. And lastly, prayer is to help us identify and recenter on that kingdom reality you know we need to remember where our home is a lot of us have addresses that's not our home a lot of us are walking through circumstances we think I'm going to be here forever no that's not your home do you remember George Shultz Uh, George was the, the secretary of state under Ronald Reagan Brilliant man, a wonderful guy we had Becky and I had uh, uh, dinner at his house. He lives at Stanford University and had dinner at his house one night. he cooked he 's a wonderful cook and he, re, he was regaling us with stories of Reykjavik and and Gorbachev and Reagan and kind of the inside stories were so much fun. Well, Secretary Schultz used to have this practice when he um, would would commission diplomats, he would bring them into his office and he would say. Tell me about, your, about the country, you know, that, that, you're, that you're, uh, you're going to. And so, man, they felt like this was a test. You know, they'd break out in a sweat, you know, and so they are telling him. George said, I, I was just interested. I wouldn't give him a test. I was just interested, you know. And, 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 they'd, and then he'd do this. There was, a, there was a globe in his office. And he'd walk over and he'd spin the globe. And he'd say, point out your country to me. They thought, well, this is the easiest part of the test. And so they'd stop the globe. They'd find the country to which they're going, and they'd point to it. And Secretary Schultz would always say this, no. I said, point out your country to me. And then they'd go back to the United States of America, and they'd point to it. And George Schultz would say, very good. You understand... That's our country. That's our country. That's our home. It says, and Lamont says, you know, when it comes right down to it, we're all just walking each other home." It says in, in, in Hebrews eleven sixteen that God isn't ashamed to be called our God because we've seen a better country. That is heaven. That's our home. The kingdom of God is our home, and we're meant to go home every day. We're meant to live at home every day. We've got one home and one Savior, and his name is Jesus.